listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. All right, Kate, come read our scripture for today. Good morning. My name is Cade. I serve in the worship band on Wednesdays and Sundays. Today I will be reading Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she had of her poverty but put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, son. He wanted to be a whole lot sillier than that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Who likes to people watch? Anybody? Anybody like to people watch? Okay. If you're you're over 30, your your hand is up. If you're under 30, you're like, what? That's just creepy. That's stalking, and I'm not interested in that. You get over 30, you find that going shopping is a necessity. People watching is the fun thing. I love to people watch. And, and it's it, having, having grown up enjoying Monty Python, and I know that's irreverent, and I get it, but it's the reality of my life. Having been... You know, having grown up in the time where Saturday Night Live was actually funny, um, I just, it's just, you would be probably very entertained if you could imagine what I'm thinking as I'm people watching and saying things for them that they have no idea that I'm saying. I love it. It's great fun. It's almost what it looks like is happening in this little scene that we're going to look at this morning. It says in Mark's gospel chapter number 12, the parallel passage of what we've read this morning, it says that Jesus was was seated across from the treasury in the temple. So where Jesus is at is he's just kind of hanging out where people are giving their free will offerings. He's just watching folks. He's he's people watching. If, If you were here last week, and if you weren't, I would encourage you to go back as we went through the entirety of Luke chapter 20 and just talked about the opposition that Jesus faced and, and how he addressed that opposition from the, from the most upper crust of the temple leaders as they brought him everything they had, trying to trap him in any way they could. And yet Jesus was able to counteract their attacks and in most of these cases, trap them in the very same things they were trying to catch him in. On the, on the heels of that, we, we have Jesus giving a warning to the scribe, or warning to the people about the scribes. In the last couple of verses of chapter 20, Jesus says, you guys need to watch out for these scribes. They, they like to get all the attention. They like to have all the best seats in the synagogue. They like for folks to recognize them in the, in the, the marketplace and to show them honor and great respect. But you better beware of these guys because they are devouring people. And Jesus made a very specific statement when he says, they devour 
widows' houses. Luke 20, 47 is what Jesus says. He basically says that these guys that you think are the best of the best because of their role as temple authority, well, they are going to receive severe judgment because they're taking the truths that God has laid out and they've perverted them or allowed themselves to become the point rather than God being the point. If God had been the point, they'd recognized me. But since themselves are the point, they didn't recognize me and that's why they've rejected me. So you better beware of them. And then Luke shows us, pans around to Jesus sitting across from the treasury watching people give their offering. Now, we don't make a spectacle out of the offering here. And, and by that, I'm not saying that when, when people take up the offer, I'm not saying that they're making a spectacle of it. But we don't talk a lot about money. If you've been here any length of time, you know that I very seldom during the year talk about money. In fact, we don't even pass the plates here. There'll be a couple of really strapping gentlemen in the back holding wooden plates as you walk out today. And you could very easily come into church and walk out and go, I wonder what that's all about because I very seldom, if ever, even explain to you what those wooden plates are for. But those of you who understand your place in the body, those of you who are, are a part of the body of Christ have, have been taught it at, at all, you kind of get the fact of, oh, okay, this is not a money-making entity. This, this is not a business. So if it's going to happen, it's going to take resources. And if they're going to be resources, it's going to come from us. And you do what you do. And I just want to singularly give those of you who are faithful givers that encouragement that you're doing great. Keep doing what God's told you to do. And he'll bless you and the ministry will go on. You're doing a great job. I don't preach a lot about money. It's what a lot of folks say is the reason they don't like to be around church because all the preachers talk about is money. And more giving. More giving. Could we get some more giving? The pressure, the, the, the obligation. I don't do that a lot. Except when the text talks about it. When the text talks about it, we'll talk about it. And today, Jesus references money. And so we'll reference it. But money really isn't the major point of this section right here. On the heels of Jesus talking about the scribes taking advantage of these widows, putting pressure on them, putting burdens on them that would cause them to, to go beyond what the Scripture may have even called them to do. These scribes were taking advantage of the most vulnerable. And then we turn and we see Jesus in front of one of those most vulnerable. In these four verses, I think we see an ordinary scene wouldn't have been out of the ordinary at any feast time to see what Jesus was seeing. But I think we're going to see an unordinary evaluation. We're going to see something that ordinarily happened several times a year, every year. But we're going to hear Jesus say something that maybe no one had ever said since the beginning 
of offering plates way, way back when. Here's what we see. First, the ordinary scene. It would have been very common, especially during these high feast times, for there to have been many from the surrounding areas of, of Israel and Galilee and, and all throughout Judea to come to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the feast. We talked about that as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and those that were singing his praises, he would have most likely been able to have seen tents and shanties for as far as he could see in and around Jerusalem because so many people were there to celebrate the Passover. And no doubt, if you're in Jerusalem during the Passover, you would want to go into and pray at the temple. And while you're in the temple, maybe it's the only time you've been there all year. Maybe this is the only time you've ever been able to go to the temple. You make your way in, you stand in line because you've always wanted to actually drop some of your coins into the, into the, the main coffer. Uh, yes, you've given in your synagogue. Yes, you've made offering and tribute for the ministry of, of God's work, specifically the temple in your own area. But there was just something about going into the building, that place that represented God's presence with his people where where worship and prayer happened in a very tangible way of course you would want to go through and and put your money in that cover there's just something nostalgic we do that all the time we go visit places. What do we want to see? We want to see the most important sites. We want to go and be a part. It would have been no different. And that would have made for long lines. And it would have made for fantastic people watching. As different ones would come in and make their offering. It seems as though this was probably in the court of women. The temple had different court arenas. There were places that only a very few could go into. The, the temple courts known as the holy place and the holy of holies was reserved for only the high priest. The outer court in that arena was only available to certain priests offering certain sacrifices. Then when you get into the outer courts of the temple, you would have different designated places for different people. You had a court of women where the women could go and pray and worship. You had a court of Gentiles where folks that weren't of Jewish descent could come and participate. It's in those courts where the money changers had set up and brought in all of their stuff, making it impossible for people to actually come in and participate in worship that God had set apart for this place. That's why Jesus said, why are you doing this? Get out of here. This is a place designed for prayer. It's very likely... That this particular treasury was located in the court of women, not the least because Jesus is going to see and recognize a woman. And she would not have been able to go into all of the places in the temple, but this is where she could go. And since it was open to women, it was one of the places that had one of the largest offering opportunities. And so if you can imagine what I was reading, what I found in common is that most believe there were 13 boxes 
designating different funds or, or different identification of, of how the money was going to be used. And, and they had coming out of those boxes like a, a trumpet coming backwards. So you stick a trumpet down in and the bell gets big so that you could make sure that if you dropped your coins, kind of like the, uh, the, the, the toll way, you drive through and you toss them. That's why it's got that little barrel. So it's going to collect all the, all the change that you throw. And people would go through and drop their money. And this was a common thing. It was a thing that the temple, well, it required. But there were times of the year where the box could get more full than at other times. This was one of those times of the year. Now, there were a couple of guys. As I was doing some research on this, there were a couple of guys that said there is, there is a possibility. And we don't know if this is a hundred percent certain but there's a possibility that at this time it was common for the person giving to give to a, 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 a an attendant some sort of priest or Levite of some sort and as they would give they could tell them what they were putting in and the person would shout a hundred denarii as it went into the the coffer now that's a possibility you go do we know? We don't know. But here's what we do know. Jesus was aware, and it doesn't seem that he's saying something that no one else would have been unaware of. You know, there are times Jesus did that. There are times Jesus tell you what you're thinking. Look at you and say, I know in your heart you think nobody else in the room knows what Jesus knows. But this time it seems he's saying something that everybody's on the same page. So maybe it is they're all hearing the same information. When he's looking at those rich who are putting in their big gifts, making an impressive scene. As the line is formed and as they come up, they're dropping what most would consider large sums into the trumpet-like receptacles going into the temple coffers. Jesus sees all of the rich. Jesus sees those with much putting much in the plate, in the box. But Jesus focuses on a poor woman in line. In fact, Luke tells us that not only was this a poor woman, she was a widow. She she had no one to provide for her. If she was surviving, then she was having to survive on whatever her husband had left over or whatever her children could provide, which we know must not have been much because not only is she a widow, she's poor. A poor widow woman. This poor widow woman put only two small copper coins into the coffer. So if they were shouting, a hundred denarii into the fund and shouts, 50 denarii, a thousand denarii. When this poor woman got to the box, if they were screaming out the amounts, they probably didn't bother. Because what she had to offer were two coins worth one hundredth of a denarii. Now, you might have grown up being taught that all she had was two copper pennies. 
there was more to it than a penny because a denarius was the the amount of money that would have been equal to the the one we we referenced a couple weeks ago that that would have been a, a, a an average amount for a day laborer so a day's worth of work if we said was a hundred bucks then these two coins would be worth about two bucks still not a whole lot Yesterday, I was going to get some breakfast. I had, I, had a, I had my haircut, which is why I'm scalped this morning. I had my haircut, and then I had, I had an appointment, and I had about 40 minutes. And I looked in my truck, and I thought, How, I wonder if I've got, because sometimes I stash some, some singles in my, in my little console thing. I thought, well, this is going to determine where I'm going next. So I opened my thing. I had, I had one paper dollar, and I scrounged up. Uh, you know, three coin dollars got me a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit at Wendy's where I thought you could get two of those for two dollars, but apparently inflation has got to Wendy's too. It took everything I had to give me a one little old biscuit and it was hard. Didn't taste anything like mama's, but I digress. Didn't have a lot. There wasn't much to it. Certainly wasn't going to sustain me for very long. So you think, well, no big deal. She dropped in some small coins. It's ordinary. Rich folk, poor folk, no big deal. Jesus says this is not an ordinary scene because you guys don't get it. Let me explain it to you in an, ordin- in an unordinary evaluation. Jesus says... Truly, in verse number three, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Now, they've been raised in, in, in their educational system. And, and by God's grace, we're raising our kids in an educational system. I'm hoping one of these days that, you know, that, that my kids recognize that there's a difference between paper money if there's only a one there or if there's a one with two zeros there. You know, we, we like to think that they're getting the counting. You know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty in nickels. We like to think they're learning. And all of them looked at Jesus, I'm sure, like, okay, this is going to be some kind of sideways thing like Jesus is always telling us. Do tell, Lord, how is it possible that this woman has put more in than all of these other people? We've been watching the same folks you've been watching, Jesus says. I'm going to tell you why. It's a matter of divine accounting. It's a matter of of heavenly estimation you see they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on you see what she put in was worth far more than what they put in Because the principle of divine accounting is this. God doesn't count. God weighs. And by that weighing, we're not talking about ounces in gold or silver. He weighs in matters of motivation and sacrifice. Here's the idea. 
While the large gifts display may have seemed impressive, and I'm sure they were, what some could put in the offering box would have been, man, I've never even had that much money. And they're dropping that into the temple offering? While that might have seemed impressive, according to Jesus, out of their abundance, it was only a fraction of what they had left over. Have you ever heard someone say something about the fact that so-and-so, did, did, you, did you hear about what so-and-so did for their neighbor? Did you hear about you know, a neighbor's house burnt down? They wrote them like $3,500 check. Did you hear about that? And you've heard that phrase bounce back, they'll never miss it. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Oh yeah, that, that, hey, compared to what you guys have in your pocket right now, that looks like a lot of money. But what they just gave is really not all that much in comparison to what they still have at their disposal. And you know who always knows what the giver has at their disposal? The one who owns it all. The one who owns it all is always much better acquainted with our banking accounts than often we are. Jesus says, you think they've given a lot? They still have a lot to give or a lot to manage. It it, it indicated that their, their gift, it didn't hurt them. It didn't demand a sacrifice even though it would have impressed everyone watching. You know, the church has givers like that as well. I'm very thankful that in our church, these two examples have not happened, not in my 14 years of being here. I'm very thankful for that. But I've been a part of ministries where these kinds of things happen. Someone gives, but they aren't satisfied in giving Unless someone identifies the fact that they gave it. I, Pastor, I'm going to put this in. I know we're taking up a, you know, a, an offering and, and now are we going to get that? We're going to put a plaque. We're putting that up so that we can get our names on that thing. And, and, and unfortunately, some churches play right into that. You know, they'll, they'll start saying, we, we want you to give, and if you'll give, we'll put your name. And, and I know that's not always negatively motivated. I just don't think it's very wise. It's probably not the best in leading them to not know what their left hand's giving from their right hand. If we're going to do this motivated simply by our heart toward the Lord. There are some, though, that will only give if you're going to recognize them. And, and if they don't get recognized, then they'll make it clear to as many people as they can, they're not going to give anymore because it wasn't appreciated. It wasn't appreciated? Did, did, did what you gave it for get done? Was it possible to? But we want that recognition. Can I just kind of tell you, and, and I'm not being ugly, not being cute, but that's not going to happen here, okay? We want you to feel like you can give abundantly to the Lord, but we're not ever going to stand up and tell everybody how much you gave. You know why? Because that's just feeding pride into your heart, and I just don't want to give an account for that one day, okay? So we're not ever going to do that. 
There are other times when people who give abundantly, and I've seen this happen, when they get upset about something, when, when, they, when they see a church taking a strategy approach that maybe they would not prefer, they'll say, well, now y'all know how much I give. Well, actually, I don't know how much you give because that's one of the things that I make uh, very plain to everyone, and the board knows this. I don't know who gives what, and that's on purpose because I want to love everybody the same. I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking one is more important than the other because of what I think about what you give. So I don't know what's given. But there are some who will say, well, somebody knows how much I give. If we don't make this change, well, I'm going to pull it back. Well, okay. I mean, you, you do realize that God's the one that owns it all, not you. And if, if you don't want him to use you, well, he'll use somebody else, or he won't use somebody else, and we'll figure out how to do what we're doing without what we've currently got. Because at the end of the day, it's about reaching and teaching. It ain't about all the other glitz and glamour. So, unfortunately... Those who have a lot and give a lot can very easily wrestle with the pride. Because what they're given doesn't really demand a whole lot of sacrifice, doesn't hurt them a whole lot, but it does in their mind buy some power and it does contribute to pride. Jesus is saying, yeah, I see a lot of folks giving a lot of stuff. And Jesus wasn't downing large gifts, and Jesus wasn't saying that their hearts were not in it. He was just saying, I value what she's given more than they, because what they've done is given out of their abundance. What she's done is dropped everything she had to live on into the temple offering. Because of an act of worship, because possibly because of being motivated by corrupt scribes she might have felt like that's what she needed to do but Jesus saw the heart of worship and commitment to her father as she dropped in all she had probably that that she had to live on meant for the rest of the day most likely didn't represent a, an extended period of time, but certainly she would have no more means to do whatever she needed for the rest of the day. So what did that represent as she let go of what she had to meet her own needs in worship and commitment? What she was having to do was then place her empty hands before her Lord and say, I, I have nothing for which to meet my needs, Lord. I'm totally dependent on you. God loves that. When, 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 we're, when we're getting all in with Him, He loves that. You know, He'll let us ride with one foot hanging out the door. He, he'll let us. And he's not going to kick us out of the car for having one leg out just in case I need to jump out and handle this myself. He gets it. He knows us. But what he really likes 
It's when we get over into the we get over into it, we just put on our belt and ask him if we can turn the radio up. What he really likes is when we just trust him for the ride. Now, if you give me something, Lord, I know you've given me it as a tool. What do you want me to do with it? Well, don't you have needs? Yeah, I got needs, but I got a God. I got a creator. I got a sovereign of the universe who, while I was still a sinner, still looked at me with love and pursuit. I ain't got to have this. I got him. He loves that. You know why? Because he's absolutely going to take care of our needs. That just scares us to death. But he likes that too. When we begin to trust him over our fear, this woman said, that's all I got, but you can have it all. Jesus said, bingo. Divine economics, a bunch, a little. Boom. Hers weighs a whole lot more than theirs do because hers comes out of a heart motivated and willing to sacrifice. This faithful widow is like a a little nugget, little four-verse nugget. It's like a a flower in between the charred ground of judgment on either side of her. On this side of her, chapter 20, Jesus is facing jerk after jerk, trap after trap, trying to catch him, trying to get him out of the way. All he's doing is wanting to step into our humanity and restore that broken relationship that we have with our Creator. And those that should have known him best were doing all they could to shut him up and all that came with that. On the other side of this scene, Jesus is going to talk about the days as they end and the the, the, the judgment that is to come. But right in the middle, we got this little old lady who didn't have nothing except the opportunity to be the one bright spot and a whole lot of negative stuff. Boys, come here. Come here. You want to see something? Let me show you something right there. What? What, Jesus? What, Lord? That guy? Yeah, I saw, no, no, no. I don't worry about him. Oh, 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 the guy before him? No, don't worry about him either. See that lady right there? You mean that that little old lady? Yep. Put in more than all of them did. Because hers was motivated here. You know who recognizes that? Her Lord. You know who she has on her side? Her Lord. An ordinary scene. An unordinary scene evaluation but a clear reminder to us that have resources and have opportunities a reminder that that it's it's not about how much we have to work with it's about what we do with what we have to work with i'm going to offer you four things that all believers can learn from this scene. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the kind of thing that could throw you sideways. Don't leave from here saying, I went to learn about Jesus and all he wanted to talk about was money. No, no. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're broken beyond repair and there's not a thing you can do about it. But God in his grace, by his love, through his mercy, has made a way, the way, the only way, for your brokenness to be restored, for your life to be renewed and, 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 and to be redeemed. 
redeemed, and that is through faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. Through his death and resurrection, you brought out of darkness into light. You brought out of death into life. That's the only way into the family, but that can be a way you take today. If by faith you'll put it all in on Jesus, he'll take you just like you are. But if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you're a believer, I think we can learn four things. Number one, God is not impressed with the dollar amount of our giving. God is not impressed with the dollar amount of our giving, so neither should we be. As followers of Jesus, we should never be impressed with how much or how little someone gives because God does not count. God weighs on the basis of motivation and sacrifice. Now, I think we should all learn that. God's not counting what you put in. Guys will take what you put in. They'll go back there and they'll count it. The folks that that take what's given online, they'll count it. They'll send out a report. This is how much was given. We we got a budget. Some of y'all got a budget. Y'all got a, if you're a covenant partner, you got a budget this past week. All that does is tell you, this is kind of how much we figure is going to come in next year based on what came in this year, could go up or down, but this is what we think is going to come in. This is how we plan to spend it. And we send that out to covenant partners so that they can see it and look and go, all right, well, I see that. I don't understand this. And that's why you ask questions and you say, hey, can I, can I get some clarification? I'll say, absolutely. We're, we're not trying to hide nothing. You get to budget. That's the numbers we work off of. Half of the year comes through. We'll show you what we've already spent. End of the year comes in. We'll show you everything we spent, every place that it's at and everywhere it's located. Don't know of any other way to do it than that. God's not counting what you do. God's not counting, he's weighing. Number two, every believer can be and should be faithful givers regardless of how much they have to give. Every believer. We could go back to the Old Testament and we could make an argument about the the. the the ancient aspects of, of worshipful giving. We, we could do a study and go through all the passages, all the, ta- we, we could get the crown folks to, to, to show us all 2,600 verses in the scripture telling about money. We could make statements like there's, there's not much more that's spoken of more than money in the scripture. We could do all of that. We could lay out this argument that says followers of Jesus should recognize that God expects us to utilize the the resources as a part of worship and giving as a part of that. We're not going to do that. We're going to just expect that you get it. That it's just part of being in the body. God gives you stuff to manage and part of that stuff is giving it back in in an aspect of worship and also as an aspect of investment in his work. So we're just going to assume that we're all on the same page. The bottom line is that every believer can always at every point in your life be a faithful giver. You say, Pastor Kevin, I'm not able to give what I used to could give. God doesn't count. God weighs. 
Well, Pastor Kevin, I'm, I'm on a fixed income right now. There's everything. God doesn't count. He weighs. Every believer can be and should be a faithful giver. Here's the thing you need to recognize. Here's the thing you need to consider. Is my definition of faithfulness and God's definition of faithfulness the same? That brings us to point number three. Faithfulness or faithful giving looks to God to set the amounts on what to give and what not to give. I had that set up as saying what to give and what to keep. I think, that, I think that sends a wrong message that we give to God what is God's and we keep for ourselves what is ours. That's misunderstanding of Scripture. We give to God's what is God's and everything we still have left is still God's. He's still the one that is to be telling us how to use that after we've given and now we have what we've got. So you say faithfulness looks different at different times. No, faithfulness doesn't, but the amounts do. But if I'm always asking God what you want me to do with your stuff, then I can always be faithful no matter how much stuff I've got to use. Does that make sense? I think it's probably easier. No, I, 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 I don't think. I, I believe I know it's easier. Because I think we experienced it. When Stacey and I first got married, we didn't have much at all. And we got the pictures to prove it, okay? But I just remember it, it was a whole lot easier to, to look at our, our pay stubs and, and to be able to, to go, okay, well, based on this, looks like we're going to make this much in the year and go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Every week, we're going to set this amount apart based on an amount and I know probably some of you are going, I know what it is. I know what it is. I got a word for it. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about letting God decide how much. Sometimes God says, yeah, yeah, I use that word a lot, but I don't want to use that with you. I want to use a word that you don't understand yet with you. And we got to give him room to do that. It was easier, I think, when we had less to give more as far as percentage was concerned. Barna has done studies that show the further down you go on the economic scale, the greater the percentage of what you have you give. Because in your mind, it feels like not that much. But as we increase over time in the resources that we earn, that percentage does not stay the same. That that increase is much less then as our salaries increase, our giving does not at that same rate. It's a phenomenon. It doesn't make sense, does it? If I've got less, I give more. If, I give, if I've got more, I give less. <laughs> you know what it boils down to? G-R-E-E-D. Greed. <laughs> what I can do with this. When I didn't have it, I couldn't do nothing. Yeah, I give that. I got nothing. But now that I got it, have mercy, Lord. You, you want me to? No, he might, might not. If I'm always asking him, then I can always be faithful. And then lastly, number four, giving is worship. 
Giving is worship. Now, giving is not the totality of worship. But neither is praise. Neither is sing. Sacrifice is worship. Suffering is worship. If I'm suffering for Christ, I'm worshiping. The monotony of the day, if I'm doing it with a heart for the Lord and a desire for Him to use me, even in the ordinary, is worship. So is giving. Giving is an aspect of worship that way too many believers just simply blow by because, yeah, I wish I could, but I can't. Can I tell you what God says? God says, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. But God, you don't understand it. I'm up to my nose in debt. I get it. I get it. But you can invest some of what you have left over after you've paid everyone you owe, and you owe them. Pay them. But you can take what's left, and if you'll ask me, I'll show you how much to sacrifice. And then let's talk about getting the debt paid off. Then let's talk about moving forward with a different... So if you want God to lead you into faithful giving, He can do that starting right now today. Don't miss out on that because it is worship. I've got a friend who who has said in in a number of occasions, yeah, I don't like to use the, the online giving. I know it's convenient. I know it's easy, but I don't like to do it. I like to put it in the plate. I just, there's something about being able to physically put it there. So I know what he's talking about. He's talking about that's an act of worship that I just, there's just something about just taking it and going with joy in my heart. And you can do that online too. But my point is, if we don't look at we're uh, giving as worship, then we'll be a whole lot less likely to consider that that's a part of worship that God desires. So don't ever talk about money. Except when Scripture talks about money. And then we talk about it. And then ultimately, you know what we do? We let you be gods, not little gods. Let you belong to God. Let Him tell you what to do. And then we'll just hope that you do what he says. And we're going to trust him either way. Amen? I'll leave you with an illustration. Three things to consider. First, let's think about the birthday party. Birthday party, little boy has a lot of folks that love him. At the birthday party shows up two specific individuals who contribute to the little boy's birthday. Grandmama. And rich, uh, rich uncle. Grandmom shows up just like she always does with card in hand. She hands the little boy his card. Rich uncle shows up, has a big box in his hand with a nice big red bow. Grab a whole lot of attention. Everybody's going to see this. Little boy opens up his card from his grandmother. And as it always said, to the one I love so dearly. And in there was a crisp $5 bill. Like she always does. She's got 20 grandkids. She gives them all the same thing. Then she don't have anything to live off of. 
Rich uncle shows up. Boy's eyes get so much bigger. He rips into the paper, and there it is, PlayStation 5. Yes. And everybody's so excited, and so is he. Which is given more, grandma or rich uncle? Well, grandma has because she's on a fixed income, has very little to give, but she's sacrificed out of love. Yeah, rich uncle went on, put down his black card, diamond card, whatever, bought that thing off of Amazon for way more than it would be if it weren't for inflation. Got that thing in, took it to the boy, everybody says, what an extravagant gift, except that rich uncle could pay for that kid's college and never miss it. Who gave more? Grandma. PlayStation's not a bad gift. In comparison, it's just not worth as much. Think about the benefit that you went to not too long ago. You got invited, you went, you ate someone's food, they did their presentation, and and at the end they asked for contributions, and and listen, this is a a ministry, we're trying to reach people, and we need you to help, and if everybody give a little, we would do do it, And, and, and the one person sitting at your table is just, you know, just really struggling. Just really, you know, having a hard time thinking, but he writes on his card, I'm going to support the ministry, $25 a month. As he's trying to figure out where that's going to come from, he puts the envelope in the card, but he trusts the Lord, and he says, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide. And then they bring the, the fellow up on the stage, and they have the big, the big check that he's given them for $10,000. And we're so thankful for Mr. So-and-so who's giving the men. And we're going to be able to, to do so much when that guy, off of the interest that he has being made each year, could singularly fund that entire ministry. Now, I'm not saying $10,000 ain't a lot of money. I'm not saying there may or may not be sacrifice. All I'm saying is that the God who knows where that's coming from knows how much is left. Who is the greater giver in God's divine economy? The one who trusts Him more. Now think about church giving. Where are you at this morning? And you deal with God and you won't ever get an email from me. Are you someone who is a part of the family but up to this point has not seen it as a act of worship to be a part of the investment. There's a lot of Christians, a lot of folks in the family that don't ever give anything. You know, you could change that today. You could be on your way to being a faithful giving from God's perspective, and He's the only one you have to answer to if you'll just take that simple step. Or maybe you're just a rarely an occasional giver that needs to say, you know what, Lord, I need to get on a plan. I I need to get with you, and I need you to tell me how much you want me to set aside. Look to 1 Corinthians 16. They set aside the first day of the week that that they were going to give, that that they had determined to give. Lord, I want to... 
I want to trust you a little bit further than if I've got anything in my wallet each week, I'll make sure I put something in. I want to get to a place where I'm saying, how much out of my paycheck do you want me to set aside not having any idea about the incidentals that are going to show up this month? But I'm going to trust you. You could take a step in that direction today. Every one of us could be a faithful giver as an act of worship. If we'll just put ourselves in line. And when we get up to the coffer, if we would be willing to stop and look at Jesus and let him say how much. Well, that's what I got, Lord. What do you want? Are you sure? <laughs> I, I, got, I got a lot more month left, Lord. If we would let him do, even if it's a little, even if it's a bunch of folks putting a little because God said, no, that's how much. And, and, and we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, how are we going to do anything with this? Don't forget. Don't forget who we're dealing with. Jesus. Remember the hillside? Fish, bread, break and 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 break. Anybody want some more? We got 12 baskets. Anybody? Anybody need anything? No? No? Did I provide? Yeah? Can you count on me? Yeah. Let's just be faithful. Let's do what he says. And do it often so that we might be involved in worship often. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. God, we thank you for the resources that you've given us. We are so selfish. We are with what you've given us, and it's yours. We are. I pray that you'll help us to just listen to you. Help us to take on the the attitude of that no-named little lady. No one of us even know where she was from. We just know all the things that were probably real difficult on her. Poverty, loss of her spouse, little to live on. But you said, that's the flower right there. Because her heart is turned toward her Lord. I pray that you will turn our hearts toward you. And as it applies to the resources you give us to manage, that we will be faithful, great or small, knowing that you weigh, you don't count. I pray that you will give us the courage to trust you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said.